Hello and welcome to the Powered by Rock podcast. This is going to be the second part of an, an incredible interview with Marco DeSantis from Sugar Colt and Bad Astronaut. I wanted to touch on some deeper personal stuff in this part and also talk about what Marco is up to these days and whether he thinks Sugar Colt will make another album. We'll jump back in right after this. You're listening to the Powered by Rock podcast with your host, Isaac Kuhlman. The Powered by Rock podcast was created to help showcase some of the best rock musicians in the world and to pass on to future generations the rock music that has inspired rock fans around the world for decades. We want listeners to be able to hear great stories and life experiences directly from their favorite artists, as well as dig deeper into music theory and talk rock like no other show you've ever heard. This isn't about looking cool. It's about getting real and having a great time. Without further ado, let's start the show. All right. So I just wanted to kind of get a little bit more information on some of the stuff we were talking about with Bad Astronaut and obviously with Popsicle, because you've had some really incredible highs in your career and also some pretty kind of crappy, tragic points as well. So obviously with Popsicle, lead singer Keith Brown died at an early age on a car accident as a result of, you know, drug use and stuff like that. And then Derek, obviously from Lagwagon and Bad Astronaut, um, you know, obviously killed himself. So I was just kind of curious because, you know, Joey Cape once said, you know, it was kind of a matter of when, not if with Derek. Um, Did you kind of feel like that same way with both Derek and Keith? And it was kind of like their live fast, die young mentality. Is that kind of a commonality there? Uh, And do you kind of have any helpful words for people dealing with addiction? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's super sad. I, I, you know, managed to, uh, you know, come from a pretty small town and so much talent came out of Santa Barbara but unfortunately, so many people went down sort of these dark roads. And I, I don't know if it was, um, you know, I mean, the guys in the band RKL, like so, lots of them died. Uh, this was another band in town called Rat Pack. Lots of them died. A lot of people became uh, drug addicts, unfortunately. I, I feel very, very lucky that I I had the, uh, you know, um, I don't know if it was my upbringing or what, but I somehow just uh, was lucky to, to swerve around those potholes, yeah. um, knock on wood. Um, but, uh, I don't know if it, you know, I, I think back to it now, like with Popsico, with Keith, it's really hard for me to, to answer the question of, of whether I thought it was a matter of, um, if, or when, you know, with him, I just was like, I was so young when we were in Popsico, he was like, he was a few years older than me. I just kind of like, you know, I couldn't believe I was in a band with him. Like he was like somebody I felt, you know. Um, I, I was such a fan. I've always been primarily a fan. Yeah. And so like, I think I, I said this before, but like one of the things that gave me the impulse to get into music and start playing in bands myself was just cause I was like, it was like the closest you could get. Like it was even yeah. closer than a front row seat. Right. Yeah. And, and so when I was in Popsco, like Keith was someone, like I said, a few years older than me. And to me, he was like already a rock star. Like I looked, I looked at him the same way I looked at like Kurt Cobain or something like he was just like, to me, he was the real deal. He was like Perry Farrell, Kurt Cobain, like all these big magnanimous figures you had in in music that, you know, I'm sure if you were just their friend, you would think was just a dude, but like to us that knew them through their music, they'd become kind of larger than life. If you know what I mean. And that's, I mean, honestly, the case with everybody I've ever been in a band with and everyone I've ever met in any famous band you can imagine up close, they're just a dude. (laughs) or a chick you know with all the same insecurities we all have with all the same you know usually um a a bit of imposter syndrome you know where they feel like why me like i'm not the greatest you know um but anyway so keith sort of had that like you know you know i was so young that he still sort of had that magic to me where i was like god this guy like he's just so cool like everything he everything he says is worth writing down everything every record he turns me on to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go buy, you know, yeah. like he was just that guy. Yet I was also in a band with him and making songs with him. So it was really something special. And when he got into drugs, I mean, he was always kind of a like, he was always kind of the kind of guy that would just do crazy shit. You know, he yeah. just had that, like, you know, not, not because he was an idiot, but just, he just had that sort of like, he just sort of lived outside of the law, you know, which honestly, like to me made him all the more legit, <laughs> you know, he was the kind of guy that would like, you know, he's this really gentle sort of um, demure kind of intellectual, but then he would have this, like, all of a sudden he would just go pick a fight with someone like twice his size and like destroy them. And you're like, how did that guy do that? You know, like he was this really bizarre walking contradiction of a human being. 
And I think he just couldn't really find his footing. The world just disappointed him reliably. And he just wasn't cut out for civilian life. Yeah. And I think that's probably what attracted him to the idea of being a, you know, an artist is because he, that was like a one little avenue that could, could somehow work for him. Unfortunately, in his mind, he also had a little bit, this is my analysis now looking back. Yeah. At the time, I was just like, I just didn't understand and have the capacity. And I, he came from a, a lot of, um, well, I don't want to say privilege because it was actually probably more of a liability than an asset, but he came from a, from an independently wealthy family. Mm -hmm. And so he never really had to worry about the things most people worry about, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's a blessing and a curse because in his case, you know, what, what maybe what grounded all of us, you know, was that we had like, you know, we saw our parents get home from work and we needed to get jobs if we wanted something. And in his case, he almost had like the, um, the lifestyle of a rock star before he was actually a rock star. You know, he could yeah. afford to do guitars. He had his own place from when he was like 16 years old. And I think that, you know, to no fault of anybody's, you know, everyone's just trying their best. He was probably, you know, you know, he, money wasn't enough. So in, in a way it was actually something that made him, he was almost guilty about it. Like he felt yeah. bad that he wouldn't be taken seriously as an artist because he can, he was born with sort of a silver spoon in his mouth. Yeah. And so he would almost like create the context to be taken seriously. And like, yeah. you know, I see that him have relationships that were going great and then he would like sabotage them. And like I said, going and picking fights with people that were twice his size doing things. And then of course, drugs became this like, Oh, well, drugs is a way for me to get like, you know, be the real thing, yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah. I guess he got, you know, unfortunately he got too far into it and, and it just, you know, it's, it sucks because he's such a smart guy and was so talented and such a bright light. But I, I feel like, you know, when you fuck with drugs, man, it's like, it's so dangerous. It's yeah. Uh, I mean, especially like heroin and stuff like that. You're never, you're never going to not be dealing with heroin once you start. He got into the hard stuff and it's just, um, you know, and I mean, that was in the culture at the time. I mean, you know, he really looked up to Kurt Cobain, you know, Nirvana was like the band at the time that Popsico was, was happening. And most of his heroes were like David Bowie and Kurt Cobain and, you know, these glorious sort of legendary, um, you know, junkies. And, um, you know, unfortunately, the other side of that coin is it doesn't always end, doesn't always end well, you know, yeah, yeah, for sure. um, you know, a lot of people pull out of it, though. I mean, look at David Bowie, look at all, you know, lots of people. I mean, lots of people say Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones is like the poster boy for being wasted. He was really I read his book. It's like his book's pretty cool. I, I suggest you listen to the audio book of it because he actually mm -hmm. narrates it. And it's like nice. having this like cool grand uncle sitting shotgun with you in your car telling you wild war stories like it's just his <laughs> voice telling you those stories he's like i made you know fucking that so awesome but you you know the epiphany you get from that is that he was only actually a heroin addict for like maybe like a little about 10 years and change from like yeah. 69 to like 80 or something like that yeah, which i mean still in the grand scheme of things 10 years being on heroin is, is a so, lot but... when you're like almost 80 yeah. <laughs> and for the rest of your life, you're known as like the heroin addict yeah. guy. You know what yeah. I mean? Like for the sure. real fuck up in that band, as far as drugs went, was Brian Jones, who you know was unfortunately sort of been like written out of their history, but was probably the he probably it, if if push came to shove and you have to say who were the Rolling Stones, it was the Brian Jones band, and then he yeah. sort of got like there was a little revisionist history, and I say that with due respect because they're one of my favorite bands. Yeah. However. The point is a lot. The point I'm making is a lot of people. There is a path out. Yeah. If someone, you know, it's not like hard drugs and you become an addict and then that's it and that's your life sentence. There is a way out, and there are there. You know, I think at the time Popsico was around in the '90s, mental health was still sort of a. There was still a lot of misconceptions around mental health. Yeah. And it was one of those things you just, people didn't want to talk about because there was these like weird like sort of stigmas like. You know, I use the example of Sugar Cult. Actually, we did a tour, um, oh God, probably like 15 years ago, maybe more, called the um, Take Action Tour. And it was um, it was all about like suicide awareness, like raising awareness for like 
help, you know, it was like a suicide hotline and like help for that kind of stuff and mental health awareness was us and the band called Hawthorne Heights and a couple other great bands. Tim and I actually got to go speak on um, Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Like we were like the token rock dudes coming to the like Washington, D.C., you know, political conference or whatever. And one guy brought up this really good point. He, He said he's like, I mean, we were all talking about advocating for mental health awareness and having mental, removing the stigmas around mental health. Um, and he said, like, if you're walking down the street and you see someone fall off their bike and get a compound fracture, like a kid fall off their bike or something, you're going to stop. Yeah. And you're going to maybe take off your shirt and, like, create a tourniquet and try and stop the bleeding or at least call 911. Yeah. You're going to rush to their aid. If you're walking down the street and you see somebody talking to themselves – you're going to fucking cross the street and take yeah. the long way around. You're going to avoid them because someone with an injury, with a physical injury is legit. Is, that's fair game. But someone with a mental problem, that's like, Ooh, that's, they're crazy. They're, they're insane. Yeah. They're probably going to hurt me. They're probably going to, you know, and unfortunately, well, I think in a lot of ways, I think, I think people aren't apt, aptly prepared to deal with a situation where somebody could, be mentally unstable because you don't know exactly what they're going to do if you try to help them. Right. For sure. And then, yeah. I mean, that's something like we're, we're, you know, maybe you can, you know, maybe we're all taught a certain amount of first aid, you know, mm-hmm. or if you, if you go to like, you know, if you do like junior lifeguards or something, when you're a kid, you might learn CPR, you might learn more or less how to like, you know, hurt, help someone administer first aid, maybe, you know, give someone, uh, you know, uh, you know, CPR, whatever it is. But, we don't, we're not provided the tools to help people that have mental, um, you know, health problems. And conversely, we're not provided the guidance on how to identify when we might be going through a mental health crisis ourselves and separate that from reality and go, okay, this is not just because I'm bummed out, or this is not just because I get anxious about certain things. Like, it's when to be able to identify when it might be more than just a paper cut. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we know how to do that with, with physical ailments, but we can't really, you know, we haven't been given the tools. And so I think in the time between Popsico and now, we've come a long way. People yeah. are a lot more like, people are a lot more vocal about maybe their mental health things. They're not, they're, they don't hold it with like shame. It's not like some weird thing. So little by little, I think we've moved, we've, we've come a long way. And yeah. I think if Kurt Cobain from Nirvana or Keith Brown from Popsico or some of those guys were around today, they might have been able, if they were able to weather the storm and make it, you know, to today and Derek Plore too, I yeah. think they would realize that a lot of what their problem was, was not just because they wanted to party like rock stars and rock out and do heroin. Cause it was just, you know, the cool romantic nineties, you know, thing to do. But I think they would realize that maybe they were self-medicating and there was a deeper yeah. issue and maybe it was an issue they knew all along, but they were afraid to talk about because people, there was a lot of, like I said, stigma and shame involved with admitting something was wrong with you. And then, I mean, also being a dude, there's also a certain amount of like, I mean, I think guys have come a long way too, but yeah. you know, the stereotype is like guys don't want to pull over and ask for directions. Yeah. And that ma- macho-ness and machismo, or whatever yeah. you call it. Yeah. You don't want to. You don't want to come across like you don't. Got, you know that at least like maybe our our dad's generation and be you know maybe we're the more <laughs> the slightly more evolved generation, yeah. slightly more in touch with our feelings. Um, but like you know, we were probably all the descendants of the sort of notion that like dudes are supposed to have everything under control and know how to solve any problem that comes their yeah. way. And, and it's, well, a, I it's think a even like young, young for help, right? Yeah, as yeah. I say, like young guys, they 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 kind of have that air of invincibility too, right? When I was young, do anything like I'm not going to die from this, and like didn't never do drugs, but it was like, yeah, you go race down the street in your car and have no ramifications for what consequences could come from that, just because oh. you're like, hey, we're just having fun, right? Oh yeah, especially when you're a teenager and you're in your early twenties, you're you're pretty much like in your mind, you've got it all figured out, and you're like invincible. You know, and you kind of are. I mean, you're pretty resilient. You know, you can take, yep. <laughs> you, can take a, you know, there's a lot of things you can bounce back from. Um, you know, I used to, I used to joke. I was like, 
I used to bounce and now I break. <laughs> you know, like, when I fall, I used to bounce. Now I just break. Yeah. But you're a lot more resilient when you're young, you know, and I think that's by design, you know, that's probably why they have baby teeth because <laughs> they yeah, don't yeah. fall down. You know, nature has evolved us to be a certain way. Um, but yeah, so a lot of, a lot of, you know, we, we lost a lot of dudes and, and unfortunately, you know, not that it'd be nice to lose anybody, but I mean, Keith and Derek were such, such gifts to the world. Um, you know, what they had to offer and contribute as, as, as artists. So it's a real shame that, that both of those guys are gone, you know, and Kurt Cobain. And I mean, let's, the list goes on Jimi Hendrix, on, you know, but, um, you know, that's the one thing I, I'll come back to is like, thank goodness for recorded music. Thank goodness for the power of records because yeah. you got, you can put on popsicle off to a bad start and it's going to come out on vinyl this year on a nice. label called big stir. Um, or, you know, we have some stuff on Spotify you can check out. And even though Keith's been gone for forever, you can hang out and go, Oh, there's Keith Brown. And yeah. there's man that, that existed and, and it's documented and, and you can listen to songs that he, you know, lyrics, he wrote his voice, his melodies. And, you know, the same thing with Derek Plore. You can go back and listen to Bad Astronauts records, you know, um, Acrophobe and um, and Houston. We have a drinking problem. And, and most of, uh, you know, 12 Small Steps, One Giant Disappointment yeah. is Derek. Um, and then obviously Lagwagon, um, their first record, Duh, their second record, Trash. And I think those are the three he played on in live. Yeah. I don't think he played on on um, the, the other ones. But, you know, and then he's also played on a few other records. He played on one Mad Caddy's record. He played on, I think he did, uh, there's a bunch of footage of him playing with RKL that you can find on YouTube, where it's yeah. just like superhuman. So, you know, Derek's been gone for 16 years, but you can still listen to his music. Yeah. And to most people in the world, I mean, that's how I say about my some of my heroes. When I, if I want to listen to, you know, if I want to put on David Bowie or something like that, I can still listen to it. And he's as alive to me as he's ever been. Yeah. You know? And most Sometimes of the you forget that they're, they pass away because you're just listening to him in the moment. You're like, oh, man, this this guy's awesome. And you're like, oh, I can't believe it's been six years or five years or three years or 10 years since they've died. Right. Oh, dude, I was just watching uh, Get Back. You know, I've been like kind of slowly making my way through that. I've, I've watched the whole thing, but now I kind of want to go back and like watch little parts of it. That that Beatles documentary thing that yep. they got all that footage of the Beatles. And that's extraordinary. And you're sitting there like, you have to kind of remind yourself, you're like, wait a minute, this one dude has been dead. John Lennon has been dead for over 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> this other dude, George Harrison has been dead for, you know, I don't know, like 10, 10 12 years, yeah, 10 plus years, you know, the other guys are still alive, but they're in their eighties. But like, still it's like, suddenly you're hanging out with these dudes in their late twenties, these British dudes who are like smoking yeah. cigarettes, making <laughs> jokes, you know, hanging out with chicks, like yeah. playing cool, you know, I want to say vintage gear, but at the time they were playing like brand new gear. Yeah. You know? so, I mean, they're like my grandpa's age and yet you look at them and you're like, these, this is how I would act in that exact situation right now. Oh dude. It's, it's every <laughs> band you've ever, I couldn't believe it when I watched that, like, cause all I, you know, I was, born and long after the Beatles broke up, you know, but like yeah. suddenly you're just, it's like a, it, it really is like going like back to the future, like getting in a time machine and going yeah. back to 1969, 68, 69 and being in a room with, with people. And you're just like, wow, what a trip. But at the same time, having been in bands all my life, I'm like, there's that guy, there's that guy, there's that guy. And of yeah. course there's that guy. Like every yeah. man is pretty much exactly the same. <laughs> Even the Beatles, as it turns out. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. So um, let's switch to a kind of more positive note, because one yeah. of the one of the things that obviously growing up in Santa Barbara, you have very successful friends as well. Um, and recently, uh, one of your lifelong friends, Chris Shiflett of the Foo Fighters, actually was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He did write an excellent article that came out in the uh, Santa Barbara paper there. Yeah, uh, yeah. How cool was it to kind of see him grow up and, and, and make it into the Hall of Fame? Oh, dude. I mean, well... You should. Uh, hopefully, maybe you can link to the uh, Santa Barbara Independent story because it's on their website. I have a we'll paper copy of it right here. You know, I wrote the um, I wrote the cover story for the Santa Barbara Independent, and so like you know, this is you know, Chris is just an old friend of mine, and like I mean, literally, we were like kids having like sleepovers together and stuff. So like, <laughs> just dreaming about music, going to the same concerts we were growing up, and then we played in a band for like four years together when we were teenagers. 
moved to LA together, the whole thing, you know, like, um, and just been lifelong friends ever since. And so it's really, you know, I mean, it's blown all our minds that, that he ended up in the Foo Fighters. And that was already like 20 plus years ago that he got that gig, 1999. Um, Same year that I got together with Tim and Aaron and Ben and started Sugar Cult. So it was kind of an interesting year for us because we had both like come up together, had some highs and lows along the way. And, um, you know, had a weird parallel kind of thing where we had like things in the 80s that we both involved with that record stuff. He was no use for name. I was doing that you know, um, swinging udders for a while and yeah. Herfurter, and then eventually, you know, um, bad astronaut. So we had this really interesting kind of like, you know, in and each out of each other's lives you know how it goes in your twenties, your people move away or they get a, yeah. you know, um, but you know, always, you know, kind of come back home and reconnect. And, you know, you, you figure like your old friends become kind of your, like, they become more like your, your kind of family. They become yeah. like your brothers, you know? And, um, so just seeing Chris get that Foos gig was was enough of a thrill for all of us. It was just like, dude, I can't believe it because you know it was obviously the Foo Fighters were always kind of kind of big because they yeah. you know started out as being like the dude from Nirvana's. Yeah. Band, you know? <laughs> um, but then they more than proved themselves on their own, and just like you know now that all this time has elapsed, it's like you're proud of the Foo Fighters, but then you get that extra little hit of of like, and one of ours is in there. Like one yeah. of our pals from our scene back home, you know, played the same little street shows when we were kids. And um, and to see every step of the way, we've been proud of him and we've been excited. But once I found out he was going to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and we didn't know for sure, they get nominated. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get in. So yeah. when we knew they were up for it, it was like, oh shit, dude, we got to do everything we can. It was like the first time I ever like voted. I was like going on it every single day. I had like an alarm set where I just go, but I don't know how much the fan vote counts. Yeah. But like, like, this is just for posterity. We're going to make the decision. Probably just get people that go to their website and you yeah. know how shit goes. But like, you know, just, I was like, you know what? I'm probably, you know, I'm, this is probably the only one of our friends that's ever going to get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Realistically, yeah. not that there's not a lot of talented people from our town. But as far as like, you have to be pretty mainstream to get into the rock and roll hall of fame. Otherwise you're not going to make it. Or you have to be so influential that you, you know, caused a ripple effect beyond your, beyond your life. And, and so I was like, this is, this is pretty, you know, this might, this is, this is kind of important here. And it just was like, and I know Chris really well, he's really humble guy. He's like, it, it, he's almost used to it by now. It's like these extraordinary things happen one after another. Grammy Awards and Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, MTV. It's like you're hanging out, you're talking to them, and you say, yeah, well, so what are you doing? Oh, yeah, I'm just doing this. Oh, cool, how are the kids? Right on. So uh, what's going on with you these days? Oh, I got this thing next week. And he just like says it all sort of in passing. And you're like, what is it? And he's like, no, go to Cleveland, we're doing like, deal. things or whatever. We're doing like some show. And then you like look on their Instagram and it's like, so the next thing you know, he's like playing some huge fucking like giant event somewhere where it's like he's being joined on stage by fucking some, you know, like Mick Jagger or something. Paul You're McCartney, like, yeah. Dude, you can't just be all like, you know, like sort of blase. Like, you you know, so I think that's one of the things like we, me and some of his old friends, like, and I'm sure his wife and kids are there to like, not to bring him back down to earth because he's like too big for his britches because he's like I said, he's a super humble guy. It's almost like we're there to kind of pinch him to remind him that he's not dreaming. To be like, yeah. this is like insane. Just in case you get like, you can't acclimate to that. Like you level. act like that concert is like what I have for lunch or something. It's not yeah. the same. And it's like, dude, every time. So anytime he plays in LA, I'm always at the show. I'm always, dude, yeah. I got it. It's so exciting, you know. Um, but uh, super proud of him. But when he told me he was going to get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, that's when I was like, okay, I've got to take action here because he's not going to ask for this for himself. And I just called the like local paper from where we grew up in Santa Barbara, the Santa Barbara Independent, which uh, you know Pops- Popsico had actually been on the cover of way back when. Yeah. Once. And and I was like, dude, one of our you know a kid from Santa Barbara, obviously you guys know that by now. He's in the Foo Fighters. Um, they're getting in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, and uh, you know, I actually had watched the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ceremony, like you know, like he, I was actually going to fly out to the, see him do it. Cause I knew Paul McCartney was going to induct them and everything. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I got to see that. But it was like, right when like, what was it called? Like the um, Delta variant was just raging and it was yeah. just a sketch. It was just like, I don't know. So 
watched it kind of at home, like just through Instagram. And, and I saw that he actually like got up and like, when he got his award, he thanked, um, he thanked me by name, which was right. like, like I started crying. I couldn't believe it. I was like, fucking dude, he's standing right next to Paul McCartney. And he says like, I got to thank people I grew up with. And he named like four or five people. He said like Tony Sly from no use and fat Mike. And he said me, and he said our other pal, um, Bill Armstrong. And it, you know, he didn't have to do that. Yeah. It was just like, I was like, okay, I got to return the the love. And like, so I got on the phone with the independent and I was like, we got to do a story of Chris. And they let me do it. They're like, first I thought it was just going to be like one page. Um, and then the guy called me up and he's like, dude, I think we just had a meeting and I think we can make this a cover story. And I was like, okay. And dude, I stayed up all night. It was like, it took me forever to write it. It's like pages and pages yeah. and pages, you know, of yep. like story. And, and, you know, I was calling Chris's brothers and calling people he had grown up with and calling, you know, I was like, I have to do this right because this is like the, every story about the Foo Fighters is usually about Dave Grohl. And then like, oh yeah, the other guys. Yeah. Like, or maybe Taylor because of the drums and, and his attitude. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, dude, this is going to be like the story about Chris in his hometown. And like, I got to get it right. So I just like, I worked on it for like, you know, I just like worked on it for like a week, you know, it was just nonstop, just compiling pictures from when he was a kid and I have too, way too much stuff. I can make a book. And <laughs> this is yeah. just like, you know, obviously I had to get edited down to just the story, but you know, that's what, I mean, that's truly one of the reasons why, like, after I read that article, after I've, you know, I've obviously known of you, you and your career for a while, but after reading that, I was like, dude, I gotta like actually listen to what this guy's saying because Marco has way too much intimate knowledge about rock and roll, especially in the California rock scene from the eighties till now. And I was like blown away by that. And I was just like seeing yeah. what you wrote about him. And I was like, Holy cow, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I have been, been like in the place in rock and roll when things were happening just happened to be in the bands that were playing or in the scene or in the audience yeah. I don't really feel in the moment like there's anything really special about that but then as time goes on you start to realize like wait a minute how come i'm the only one talking about how come i'm the only one like even when i'm talking to chris or joey cape or whatever and i'll bring up a story and they'll be like god dude you have a good memory i don't remember anything or you know they just didn't they just don't have that sentimental thing like I've always been the guy who's like taken tons of pictures and saved every flyer and saved all the memorabilia. Well, Chris is, a, I, th I feel like he's a man of few words and Joey's just a grump. So, <laughs> well, Joey, you know, there are, you know, all these people are artists, you know, and so yeah. I give them all a pass. Like they're all, um, you know, I mean like even Tim from sugar cult, like he just doesn't like to save that much stuff. But you know, like when we're doing the 20 year anniversary edition of star static, I'm the first one that Tim and our, you know, people call and they're like, dude, so we're doing this thing. What's the deal? And I'm like, okay, I have it all. And I remember how it all went down. So it's like one of those things where you feel like, okay, I guess somebody's, you know, here's the thing. If, you know, if you don't tell the story the way, you know, the way you remember it, I don't want to be a, a arrogant and pretend that my version of the truth is the only truth. I'm sure yeah. there's, everyone's got their, their version of it. But if I don't tell it like I see it, and like I know it and like I lived it, then someone else is going to maybe, and they're probably going to get it wrong. They're going to yeah. base it on like press releases and bios and, you know, and that's usually pretty surfacey. And there's yeah. so much more depth. Like most people just have to, you know, their worldview is so shaped by like categories. It's like, you're the guy from Sugar Cult. So you care about Good Charlotte and Newfound Glory. You're the guy from the Foo Fighters. So you must care about Queens of the Stone Age and, you know, and it's yeah. like, it's so not like that. There's so yeah. much, it's so messy and so um, intertwined. Rock and roll is this giant, giant, like family tree, but it's all comes to the same source, you yeah. know? It's, it's like lots of fungus that grow underground and all connect to each other and stuff. So much, so much yeah. underground, so much above ground, but obviously like a tree, if I'm going to go with that analogy, what you see is not all that there is to the tree. There's yeah. so many roots underneath it. I, I you know, I can't even imagine, um, and then there's branches that have been cut off <laughs> and then there's yeah. branches that, you know, then there's times of the year where, where, it, you know, so, um, anyway, man, uh, growing up with, with him, it was just, you know, he was, I gotta say like, he was, he deserves it because he was good when we were kids. I mean, most yeah. of us were just like, you know, kids fucking around, like we didn't really know what the hell we were doing, but he like, even when he was like, 13 or 14 was like a good guitar player. Like he could shred like slash or somebody like that, you know, like he could, yeah. when we were, we're all sitting there going like learning how to play like 
some rudimentary thing like Iron Man. You know, we're all sitting there going like, down, 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 down. And getting it wrong, yeah. he's the one going like, yeah. like doing like Randy Rhodes run, like things. yeah. I was gonna say he's fully Zach Wild at like thirteen or something. Yeah, I mean, and he's like, he was a little dude. Chris is still a pretty little dude. He was like, like his guitar was as big as he was. You know, it was like yeah. ridiculous. This little guy, like he looked like a nine-year-old girl, but he had this like Les Paul on, and he could play. And that was kind of his, you know, it was his way out. Like he, his family didn't have any money. He came from a real like blue collar family and, um, you know, uh, broken home, the whole thing. And just like, yeah. he dropped out of high school, you know I mean? Like he was literally like, it was, it was, you know, it was dead jail or rock and roll, you know what yeah. I mean? And so it's, it's, a you love to see. And, and I will tell you, like he was in no use for name. So he experienced some success. And that was probably a point where he felt like I had done it and this is enough. And I guess I had my chance and that was it. It looked like no use for name. He was getting ready to, as you read in my thing, he was pretty much like one foot out the door, ready to kind of hang up rock and roll as a pursuit. And yeah. that's where the Foo Fighters happen. Yeah. And to be totally honest, you know, that's exactly what happened to me. I've been in bands all my life and I was like one foot out the door kind of, you know, feeling like, okay, I, I just, this has been great, but maybe it's just not going to connect. And I had Popsicle and Keith died and I had this and that didn't work out and I had this and it didn't work out. I guess that was it. It was fun while it lasted. And that's when I stopped really officially trying. Yeah. I was going to well, say, it's like Charles Bukowski on his gravestone says, don't try. I mean, you know what? I got to say, don't try. You know, it's true because, and, and, and I don't say, that's not to say just don't make any effort. Don't yeah. do good stuff. It's like, but there is, it's funny, like teenagers today call people tryhards, you know, yeah. I think I know what they mean. It's like, if you're, if you're trying too hard, you, um, Push actually, I, talk, I talk about this in my, in my lectures, when I talk to my music business students, because I teach these classes and I'm like, it's kind of like a magnet, you know, I've used that analogy where it's like, if you, if you flip a magnet, it pushes away, yeah. you know, but if you flip it the other way, it attracts. And I'm like, yeah. there's a law of attraction. If you try too hard, you might be pushing away exactly what you're trying to get, whether it's yeah. like someone you have a crush on or some career goal or uh, some kind of, you know, state of like, if you're trying to be happy, you're probably not yeah. going to be happy. It's kind of yeah. like New Year's Eve. Maybe people can relate to that when you're like, we have to have fun because it's New Year's fucking yeah. Eve. <laughs> and you're out there going, this is fun, right? This is awesome. Yeah. New Year's Everybody's Eve, taking right? pictures, but nobody's actually having but fun. How much drunker do we have to get before the fun kicks in? Because this isn't that fun. Like, and then what it is, is you're forcing the party. You're yeah. forcing it to be fun rather than just going, hey, man, it's New Year's Eve. This is awesome. Maybe it'll be awesome. Maybe it'll be, you know, but either way, here we are. Yeah. And it's like when you just kind of let go a little bit and just kind of trust the process and kind of like um, let things happen the way they're going to happen and don't try to force engineer everything so much. Yeah. Um, you know, it's amazing how things, how the seas kind of just part for you and things yeah. kind of happen. And, and I mean, don't get me wrong sugar cult were like workaholics we like never stopped grinding but it just you know we just all we had was this attitude of like let's just kind of make this the best it can be it wasn't like let's try to become famous you know yeah. it was like you know you, you can't i mean even the foo fighters if you go back and read like interviews with dave Grohl or read his books actually really good yeah. you see that he was like i mean obviously he had a golden parachute he was gonna be independently wealthy for the rest of his life too because of nirvana yeah but so he just had that attitude where he was like i'm just gonna do something that i feel like doing and not yeah. like hang any kind of nervous energy on it where it's like oh this better work otherwise i'm gonna not be a star or this better work or i'm gonna be broke when you do things for out of desperation it's like well, again going back to trying to like find love if you go out there to meet someone and you're like, it sounds like you rehearsed your lines and you like looked in the mirror for too long before you went out. People are going to smell that on you. It's like a dog yeah. all fear. They're going to smell yeah. that on you. It's not a good energy. They're going to be like, that guy's trying too hard. That girl's trying way too hard to, you know, it's like, just be, just try to be real, you know, um, be good, you know, be, you know, yeah. and maybe you have a shot, you know, there's no guarantees, but yeah, Chris, so, so stoked for him. And, um, and well, it's one of those things where you're like, it is, this is supposed to happen. He, yeah. Foo Fighters deserve to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for whatever it's worth. And like for Chris to get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame um, 
as anyone from our hometown. It's like he deserves it. And then to have Paul McCartney from the Beatles be the guy inducting him, that's the fucking amazing situation. Yeah. <laughs> the first song he ever learned, if you read that article, you'll see he went in like wanting to learn heavy metal songs. And the teacher was like, nope. Hey, we're starting, or something. starting with the Beatles. And he taught him, yeah. hey, Jude. So the first song he ever learned to play on guitar when he was 11 was, hey, Jude. Yep. Fast forward, he's at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame standing next to Paul McCartney. That's, yeah. that's a pretty cool story. That is awesome. So let's let's talk about you because obviously, you know, we talked about the music. We've talked about all the, the awesome stories you have, but obviously you do still have a career in the music industry. You're, like you said, you're kind of teaching business, the the business of music to people now, and you're also DJing on the side as, as well. You're yeah. always active. And, and let's just talk about that for a minute and then kind of explain what you are up to these days. Well, you know, I mean, if, you know, just to be totally honest, I still, you know, I still love sugar cult and I wish we could do sugar cult stuff. So, you know, uh, we got, we brought sugar cult to a certain level and then just like, you know, Tim got into his production thing and he has some, mm. you know, issues with his ears. He has tinnitus really bad. So he's not exactly like chomping at the bit to be around loud music. Yeah. Um, so there's a million reasons why sugar cult is not active right now, but I just will always want to set the record straight for fans that might care. And that it's like the reason sugar cult is not active is not because we, or because we like hate the band or hate the fans or hate the songs or anything. It's just that, we simply, I mean, we love each other. We're always like, you know, keeping in touch and laughing and sending, texting each other old pictures and like reminding each other of funny tour stories. Yeah. You know, it's a, there was never like some like cataclysmic moment where we all had this like blowout and just went, fuck you. Okay. It's fucking, you know, <laughs> so I mean, to be honest, we never even officially broke up. We just sort yeah. of stopped doing stuff for a while. And then it just kind of felt like, well, you it know, going longer. <laughs> Yeah, everyone just gets into their lives. We all have families. We all have like, you know, other other careers and and, and just like at a certain point you kind of look back at it and you're like, I don't know, man. I don't want to like, you know, I don't want to be like a, you know, um necrophiliac <laughs> like to, you know, go back and like just keep on like, you know, flogging a dead horse. It's like yeah. if we can't breathe new life into Sugar Cult, I kind of feel like it has its own life. You know, there's a dignity in my mind, as much as I would love to keep playing and, and loved it. And I feel like we have another couple records in us that yeah. we still need to to get out. Um, I look at bands like The Clash, The Police, The Sex Pistols, you know, um, that like kind of got in and got out. <laughs> like they made their records and they, they lived fast, died young and left a pretty corpse. And like you, you don't look... I mean, the Clash made the Clash. Like I always think, the Clash can do no wrong. They made a terrible record when they tried to keep going after the party was was kind of over. Yeah. You know, cut the crap was like they didn't even talk about it. This <laughs> is like, yeah. and it's like half the guys are gone. You know, so we've thought about like, oh, maybe we could do a different configuration with like someone else singing or something. And and I just look at that and I just go, I just it doesn't now. Nah. Yeah. I, I, again, that's coming from desperate energy. That's not coming yeah. from life. It's like those people that do the Las Vegas residencies and all they do is sing their greatest hits and they do that two times a night for like six straight months. And you're like, you're not really doing this because you, you like performing or because you obviously have an ability to keep this career going. You're just doing it to make the money. And well, that's, that's the only reason. Yeah. You know, and I, and I, you know, I never know what someone else's reality is. You never know when someone like, who knows, maybe one of those people have a, family member that needs medical yeah. bills or something, you know, so sure. it's like, I never, I never, you know, judge anybody for, for doing what they do. But us personally, it's just one of those things where like we worked, you know, we worked so hard on this band and we were so like, we made such an effort to make each record, like from front to back, like, you know, start to finish a really solid listening experience. And then when we played shows, we played each one, like our lives depended on it, you know, as much as glib as that sounds. And like, I look, I just, I kind of love our legacy and I look back on it and I go, it's, it's kind of untarnished. There was never like that cringe moment where we like tried to jump on some bandwagon and yeah. started start becoming a screamo band or um, becoming a, you know, um, we just, we stayed true to who we were and we had this vision and we did it. And I feel like, you know, we made three records that, that I'm super proud of and I'd love to make another one, but only if we could be, if we could make a record that was meaningful. Like I look at yeah. like, one of our heroes is obviously Green Day. And I look at them and I go, you know, Green Day could have just been Green Day and that could have just been it. And you would have just gone down in the history books as like, man, Green Day. Again, those records on Lookout, 
Um, those early Green Day records with all those hit songs on the radio, they started a revolution of, of kind of pop punk bands getting on the radio and the whole thing. They could have just like at in 2001 just said, all right, that's it. Green Day. That was a band that, that happened. Yep. And they pretty much did. And then they sort of, you know, they put out that like greatest hits sort of package and then they, you know, but then they made American Idiot. Yeah. And it was like they found a level, they accessed a part of Green Day they never had even imagined could exist. And like suddenly there's like three little dudes from the East Bay who had like got got pretty big suddenly kind of transitioned into like an arena and stadium band, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and they and the songs were so good and they were like, you know, it was a new beginning, but it was the same yeah. band. So, you know, another band in history that did a similar thing was probably U2, you know, where like they had their thing in the late 70s, the early 80s and, you know, all those songs and whatever, you know. Um, and then they could have just, that could have just been U2. But then they came back and put out Joshua Tree and then all those records that incorporated like electronic music like Oxum Baby and, you know, I don't know that much about U2, but I can, I'm just kind of a pop culture analyst and yeah. I look at that and I go, that's, that's a thing you can do. You know, yeah. it's a it gives proof of concept. Look at Bob Dylan, you know, famously was like this folk 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 dude with an acoustic guitar and then came back to life as a guy with an electric band. Yeah. Um, and so I still think like the beautiful the beautiful thing about rock and roll is it doesn't really have a, an expiration date. If you've got yeah. a band, you can have the band. I mean, look at Jawbreaker. I just got tickets to go see Jawbreaker. They're, they're doing their 25 year anniversary of Dear You in L.A. coming up soon. Um, and they disappeared for, you know, almost 20 years. Yeah. Came back bigger well, I, than ever. I, I remember Jawbreaker before they broke up, like back yeah. in the 90s, and they played tiny little, like, I saw them in a tiny little, all these tiny little awkward venues, and now they're playing, like, three nights sold out at the Wiltern, and I saw them a couple years ago play three nights sold out at the Hollywood Palladium. Yeah. Refused, same thing. They broke up, you know, in shambles in front of 17 people or something. And then like 17 years later, they got back together to play after they say they'd never play again. They got back together, to play Coachella and they've been a band ever since. And they're making yeah. like great records, great money and playing great shows. So I look at sugar cold. It's like, Hey, it's, it's, it's in the freezer. <laughs> and then maybe yeah. at some point we'll thaw it out. And when, it, when, and if we do, it'll be, not, it certainly won't be because we're all broke, <laughs> you know, yeah. so we've all carved out other careers for ourselves. It'll be because it's right. It feels right. Yeah. You know, it's no, not just, saying, I oh, remember. Young, emo's back and everything. It's never going to be for some like opportunistic reason. Yeah. Um, it's it because that would make entirely too much sense. <laughs> you know, yeah. it would be because we were, Tim and I were talking on the phone and one day it was just going to be like, dude, we should get in the fucking studio and see what happens. And then if it's fun, call up Kenny and Aaron. And if, if that's fun, play a show. And if that's fun, then we'll just do it. Yeah. So I look at it like that. And so there's some big master plan in place. It's just one of those things where like we have a, a legacy that we want to we really want to protect and we don't want to cheapen it by just doing something for the sake of doing it. It's got to feel right. And yeah. it's got to be because we've got something to say. Um, and or when we get to the point where we're like, OK, fuck it, we're going to get too old to do this. <laughs> if we don't do it soon, so we better do it. Yeah, do it now before we can't. <laughs> So as far as other shit I do, you know, it's like, I, I just, you know, the, the question I get a lot is people are like, well, why don't you start another band? And I'm like, mm, I've been in bands all my life and I have, you know, you know, the sugar cult thing to legacy to, to, to attend with popsicles legacy, still do some stuff with bad astronaut now. And again, actually just hung out with Joey the other day. And like, I kind of like that. It's more conducive to my life now. Cause I have this other career where I'm teaching um, college. I've got a family I don't necessarily just want to like, you know, have a like groundhog day and just get in another van with another group of dudes and go play some more shows. It's just like, yeah. I, I want, like, I feel like I'd like to build on what we've already got. Otherwise yeah. I'd like to explore other possibilities. You know, like I definitely want to write a book. Um, I do these DJ gigs mostly. It's just, I mean, it's fun. It's fun to communicate with an audience. And yeah. I feel like, that's a better chance to communicate with an audience than if I went out there with an acoustic guitar and said, come see Marco DeSantis solo singer songwriter and 
the whole time be wishing he would play a sugar cult song. And then when he plays a sugar cult song, be wishing it was Tim's voice instead of his voice. You know what I, mean? I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. Um, maybe I will one day. Like, I've thought about doing a solo record, but again, only when it's fun and only when it feels right. Um, yeah. the DJing is just fun because it's a chance to kind of like, when I do like the emo night kind of di- gigs and stuff, it's just a, a chance to commune with, with sugar cult fans and, let them know we still love them. Let you know. Yeah. Let them let them have a chance to express themselves to me. Play memory and have them get stoked. You know, and have them have a chance to sing along. It's just a celebration. Um, I also do DJ gigs where I where no one knows me from Sugar Cult at all, and I'm just some random dude playing weird music, and that's fun too because <laughs> it's kind of fun to not have any expectations. Yeah. Um, and then you know the teaching and um do some you know get together with people and and play some music here and there but you know it's just not something i don't really just want to like you know i i love playing music as just it's just a fun thing to do but i i don't want to have to like you know get i just feel like a band would be really like a melodramatic thing it'd be like oh sugar cult's got a new band and then there's you know i just don't want to deal with that right now it's just not what i'm it's not where my heart is you know I love yeah, getting sure. playing like one-offs and stuff. It's super fun. Sometimes I get up with like, like there was like, I d- did a DJ gig and there was a local band playing and I just, uh, we talked to each other on Instagram. I was like, if you guys want to learn bouncing off the walls or something, I'll jump on stage with you. And I did it. It was super fun. Saw that. <laughs> yeah. Like, shit like that's awesome. You know, uh, scratch the itch, you know, I got to play with yeah. Chris Shiflett when he played in Santa Barbara with his solo thing. Uh, you know, we played a few songs together um from our old bands and like with some other friends so it's just like stuff like that's super fun just a chance yeah. to to try it out yeah and i was gonna say i remember back when i was in sixth grade so this would have been 93 maybe 1993 or somewhere in there uh i remember specifically on tv it said paul simon announces his retirement and does a farewell tour and i'm like that's interesting because i don't remember that ever being talked about after that one news broadcast because he's been active as long as i've been alive yeah so like so it's yeah, like you gotta be it's, careful it's, about the like farewell tour. <laughs> that seems like it comes back to, to bite you. Like Motley yeah. Crue did that big melodramatic thing where they all like had like they had some big press conference and they all like signed their names in blood that they would never play a show again. <laughs> and then of course that movie Dirt came out was a big hit and there was all this yeah. demand for them. And now they're like, Well, the thing is we've never played stadiums before. So we're gonna yeah. you're like, dude, just just save us the the you know, like yeah, yeah. you don't need the like all you do when you make a farewell tour is you give is you make yourself have a lot of explaining to do when you end up coming back because you exactly and, that, and that's kind of my point is like you never stop being a musician until you pretty right. much die or literally can't play the instrument anymore. So just it's always there as long as you 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 feel like you can come back to it. So it's good well, to hear that attitude, Sugar Cult might come back at some point. And my attitude is it's always been a farewell tour because yeah. you never know, you know, like that, that is, I mean, that's another thing I tell my students, you know, play every show, like, like, like it's your last, you know, you, you sort of get in that athlete mentality. Like if you're ever watching like a football game or you're watching a, you know, soccer game or whatever, those guys aren't out there pacing themselves. Yeah. They're out there giving it all they've got risking, like, you know, risking serious injury just to advance, even when it's like 36 to two, and there's no, and it's in the fourth quarter, and there's no yeah. chance they're gonna fucking win. They still play with maximum ferocity, as though it's like possible to win. Yep. And to me, that's like there's a there's a like that's a life lesson. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like for sure. you've got to you've got to like you know even though this shit is finite, you've got you can't you can't go through life with that sort of attitude of like, well, what does it all fucking matter in the end? Yeah. I'm going to remember Isaac or Marco 150 years from now. So what the fuck's, what's the point? Why should we even bother? You know, it's like, you have to like have that optimism, like, Hey man, it, you know, you have to kind of behave as though it's possible to win as yeah. though it's possible to, to live forever as though it's possible. And so like, to me with music, it's always been a farewell tour. I've been in bands like Popsico that right when we were about to get a record deal, our singer died. Yep. You know, no one gets to tell you when you're, it's the farewell tour. I didn't know our last show was going to be our last show. I've been, you know, in, in bands where like, you never know. And like, so with Sugar Call, by the time I got to Sugar Call, it was like, dude, every chance we get to set foot on stage, we got to play that show and just drain the reserves. Yeah. You know, it's not like, oh, well, we're just in Milwaukee tonight, so let's save our energy for New York City in a couple yeah. nights. It's like, dude, Milwaukee, 
deserves the show of their fucking lifetime as does new york city and like you just you drain the reserves and of course some nights you have good shows some nights you have bad shows but as long as your objective is like to just like play like you know kind of make out like the plane's going down you know you just go for it (laughs) you know that's a good thing to do i think if you know there's my unsolicited advice to all you bands out there that's awesome make (laughs) out like the plane's going down (laughs) it's like it's fun to fucking play and also to not worry about it like the word the key word is play and that's i think the thing a lot of uh, musicians forget about they start taking themselves so fucking seriously and getting so aggro about it and it's like dude it's fucking rock and roll bro yeah. <laughs> like you're not fucking playing like you're not in the like philharmonic or some shit <laughs> you know don't don't take and you can take your music seriously but don't take yourself so fucking seriously just get yeah, out for sure i don't you know i'd rather play a show that's entertaining and fun and, and has high energy and make a couple mistakes than like sit there carefully with my guitar and try to play it like perfectly it's like that's yeah. not rock and roll in mine that would be humble opinion yeah yeah i finally have time for like a couple more questions so you want to do your uh yeah, no, I was just to say, I, I, we could be here all day. So I'm going to just go ahead and wrap this up because I know you're a busy man. You got things to do. So I truly want to thank you very much for your time. We actually had to split this into two I know. episodes because of thank you. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm so like coming and going all the time, but yeah, good. I'm glad we got to work this out. But yeah, so thanks you. I'm just going to wrap this episode up. And, you know, if you guys like what you heard today, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends on social media. You can see the full video interview on our YouTube channel as well. You can check out any of our written content or any of our interviews or or anything else like our gear on PoweredByRock.com. And then, guys, we'll see you for the next episode. Until then, rock on. Dude, thank you guys so much. And find me uh, if you want to hit me up. If you have any questions about anything, uh, you can find me on Instagram, just Marco DeSantis, M-A-R-K-O. You see how it is. And then, um, you know, I, I usually get back to you if you like DM me or, or comment on one of my things or whatever. So there, there's my, it's not so much a plug. It's more just, a, you know, an olive branch in case if you've listened to this much of the fucking interview, I'll give you my fucking phone number. Okay. You can call <laughs> me because I need to, I need to send help. You need help. Yeah. So here's awesome. my number 805. And then we cut out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool.